This is the Hoftime Report with Idaho Freedom Foundation President Wayne Hoffman, one of Idaho's most respected, influential public policy voices. $5 billion, yep. or, give or take. Um, what percentage, because I think because the number could be fluid, it could be $1 billion, it could be $2 billion, it could be $1.3 billion. Mm-hmm. As a percentage of the surplus, how much of that does the governor recommend giving back? Uh, prediction mode? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm horrible at predictions. Uh, <laughs> but I would, say, I would say the governor will make a big deal out of um, doing any, any kind of tax relief, $200 million or more. So I would expect at low end two hundred million, maybe at the high end four hundred million, but uh, one point five billion dollars, the lion's share, two thirds of it, he will dedicate towards education. Even though we already dedicated four hundred million just in the last special session, uh, he'll do more to education and certainly more to health and welfare. I understand that they might be asking for close to four hundred million, four hundred to five hundred million more, and we throw out these numbers: four hundred million, five hundred million. There is, we have a um, state spending in our, in our state of, of about $13 billion. Government spending. Government spending. 42% of that is federal money flowing through the Idaho state government. Then you have the general fund and dedicated funds, but close to $13 billion. And so when there's $1.5 billion left on the bottom line, you're talking more than 10% of, of the budget is extra money that the state didn't expect that, that we shouldn't, that taxpayers are being overcharged for. Now, he, he may also uh, point to a desire to put some of that money into rainy day funds. Uh, the rainy day funds are, are overflowing right now, but um, yeah. uh, your, your guess on what he might do there? Uh, yeah, I think he will um, cap out the, the rainy day funds, the emergency or the budget stabilization funds is, is what they're called. And, and um I have some misgivings about that. I understand that there's this, uh, this kind of notion of safety that if, if revenues ever dropped, we'd want to make sure that the state has enough to do its, uh, to do its business without having to do cutbacks. Um, however, that's taxpayer dollars. That's money taken from Idaho households and Idaho businesses. And if the state doesn't need it right now, I don't think they ought to be sitting on any of your dollars. We don't get very many opportunities to cut government. The only time we ever do is when there is a, a physical crisis of some sort. And so um, well, shielding ourselves from physical crises uh, makes it almost impossible to. It does. I, I, I've been through that. I remember in 2003, um, there, that recession, and then the one in 2009. I think there was another budget crisis in 2011. Yeah. And typically what happens is uh, the, the hard work of actually cutting government never happens. I actually, when I worked at the Idaho Statesman, and I was at, at, in, at the Statesman, at the Idaho Statesman, uh, forgive me for I have sinned, but um, it actually wasn't. <laughs> wasn't that bad in 2003. It wasn't that great, but it wasn't this bad in 2003. But um, they let me, um, I, I wrote a whole story and I did a full page spreadsheet on what the state could cut in order to avoid raising taxes in order to, yeah. um, you know, to balance the budget because we have to balance the budget. So no, no tax increase. Here's a way, here's what you'd have to do to, and it, it was low hanging fruit, really. It was a reformulation of the, um, 
of the uh, state health insurance program. It was eliminating some smaller state government programs that don't matter any. Um, it was digging into the base and giving some agencies, you know, a modest, you know, five or ten percent, you know, cut in spending. It didn't take very much, but and it, of it, course they listened to you. They didn't listen to a thing, as you could imagine. Well, you know, they did initially. Um, there were some efforts in the legislature to cut spending, and uh, those spending bills um, with with the cuts uh, made it part way through the process, and and the governor Kemp Thorne vetoed uh, many of those bills, mm-hmm. and so um, you know he stood pat. He wanted an increase in the sales tax. He wanted an increase in the cigarette tax, and uh, that war went on because the House was a bit more reticent about about um, yep. you know the Senate went along as as you can imagine because the Senate has been uh, very leftist for a long time. They went along. They, they tried to cut for a little bit, and they gave up on it, and they uh, increased. Spending the the one thing that they did was they rejected the cuts in the state tax commission hmm. because the state tax commission generates revenue and we want to hire more people during a down season. So sure. watch for that kind of a of a play. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, no, it's it's hard to cut government. It always has been, even in Idaho with an eighty five percent Republican legislature. Yeah, when does anything ever get cut? Yeah, and so you know the only time that you can even talk about cuts is when the when the tax collections come in low, but the tax collections have been coming in high. And so the natural momentum of government is to grow, grow, grow. And so it gets spent up and it becomes part of the base and it becomes part of the expectation for future years. As a state, our constitution um, does, thankfully, does not allow uh, us to go into debt. Right. And Well, theoretically, because yeah. <laughs> I would argue that we sure have a lot of money in the budget that's based on, on debt on our kids and grandkids. Sure. But the point, though, is that you have a bunch of money in the rainy day fund, and so you do have some kind of a downturn in the economy, and where everyone else is out there trying to recalibrate their spending and cut mm-hmm. things out of their household budgets, government doesn't necessarily do that because they're flush with cash. They've been just stockpiling over the course of many years. That's right. And these, again, are taxpayer dollars taken from Idaho households. And imagine in a physical crisis like that, that the households are hurting. And uh, maybe they would have liked to have kept their money instead of having the government sit on it for year after year and then spend it up to keep government big. Yeah, uh, that just seems to make sense. But, of course, is uh, I think a lot of people don't pay attention to this process in Idaho. They Maybe they watch this on the federal level. And they see what Congress does, and I've got to say, I mean, maybe you can tell me that I, that you disagree, but I think the problems that you see in Washington D.C. are playing out here in Idaho. They just don't get talked about as much. They are. You ask the everyday man on the street who their representative is or who their s- senator is, and and uh, once in a while you might get somebody to say Mike Crapo or Jim Risch right. or something like that, but uh, they don't know who their state legislators are. And I would I I've said this for years that your state legislators and your city councils and your county governments are affecting you and your pocketbook much more than, than your um, U.S. And, and they're more accessible. But you know how I many people, they, they think that, um, oh, Mike Moyle, the Speaker of the Idaho House, is serving in Congress, that he's actually in Washington, D.C. today, or, oh, yeah. or um, uh, I don't know, um, uh, Britt Raybould is is um, is in Congress, you know, right now. I could see your mouth moving. I couldn't hear those words. But <laughs> anyway, uh, the <laughs> the um, yeah, I've been called congressman many times, yeah. you know, when I was in the legislature. But 
Uh, that's that's the usefulness of uh, of the Freedom Foundation is that we can get the information out to folks. They don't have to watch it day to day, but they can get from us what what is going on in the Idaho legislature and what's going on with their tax dollars and their big government. And this is where it all starts. So it's today's. Uh, the governor kicks off the legislative session with his state of the state address. He also, in years past, what has what had happened is um, the governor would give come in give a state of the state address, and then um, uh, two days later he'd come back and give a budget address, and yeah. so it was an entirely separate thing. So he sort of provides high level priorities. Of course, in a, in a year like this, where he just had inauguration, he gives a big speech on Friday, and he gives a big speech on Monday, and then he gives another speech on, on Wednesday. So somewhere during the uh, Kempthorne years, all those were consolidated into one. Yeah. And so what's going to happen today is you're going to hear the speech. And the speech is certainly interesting. I would say somewhat important, but not super important. The really important thing is what you see in the governor's budget proposal. And the governor's budget proposal will be out online uh, probably simultaneously as he's giving his speech. And you can see what agencies he's funding, at what level, how many new employees, um, what policy priorities he has. All those things are going to be spelled out more so in the budget than it will be. And there are portions of the speech that I think are important. And I think if you were in Florida – and perhaps you were listening to Ron DeSantis give his opening comments at the legislature. Then the, 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 the things he's saying, the policy objectives he's hoping to reach are super important. Here, you know, I don't know. That's right. Uh, yeah, you wrote an article recently about the, the governor envy that we have here in Idaho. That We, we need a Ron DeSantis. And what we're going to hear today, put on my prediction hat, is, is nothing close to what uh, Ron DeSantis would say. We have some key issues going on in Idaho that we need to focus on. We, uh, we are being overtaxed. These consistent surpluses mean that there, we have structural surpluses in our tax structure. And so we, we should reduce income taxes. We, I, almost every time I talk to citizens, they talk about their property tax. Yep. And that's been year after year, and nothing's been done about it. Uh, reduce property taxes. Get the tax off of food. Idaho is one of five states, five, five states that fully tax groceries. And we're supposed to be red Idaho. We have the third highest tax on groceries in the entire nation. And it's an easy one to, to get rid of, especially in time of high inflation when people are getting crushed every time they go to the grocery store. We ought to be able to get rid of the grocery tax. Medicaid is overtaking the budget for the first time in this last year. We spend more on Medicaid than we do on education in Idaho. If you're a teacher, an educator in Idaho, and you're worried about the state of education, the biggest competitor for education dollars right now is Medicaid. We should repeal expansion. We should get the ineligibles off the, ro- off the rolls. I understand we have 150,000 who probably don't qualify but are still on the rolls. They're on it because we accepted some money from the federal government a couple of years ago, emergency yep. type of uh, uh, spending appropriation from Congress that said, you know, keep these people on, ask no questions because COVID is happening. That's right. So the, the federal matching funds are tied to us not taking the ineligibles off the rolls, but that's going to change on April 1st. We ought to have legislation in place so that we can uh, – start purging the roles of those who are ineligible, and uh, get people back to work. Right now, our labor force participation rate is very low. We have low unemployment rate, 
those who are working or wanting to work are able to find jobs, but we have a lot of jobs going unfilled because labor force participation is so low. People have realized that working doesn't pay when you're getting so much in Medicaid, when, um, when you're getting so much in benefits and STEMI checks and all those things that uh, it almost hurts to go to work sometimes. And so when we have a welfare system or a, a system of taxation that makes it makes work unprosperous, then uh, we have a problem with our policy. So, so but you're not going to you don't expect the governor to be talking about those things today. Oh, I expect him to be talking about those things. Not the way we want to, though. He's going to talk about increasing spending on Medicaid. He might talk about maybe some some minor tweaks that sound conservative, that we need to look at ineligibles, we need to look at the, the oh, benefits. I, I don't but, even think he's going to talk about that. Well, we'll, we'll see. And he'll talk about, uh, I'll tell you what, if you want to play a drinking game and be totally blitzed <laughs> after the speech, drink on, on the word investment. Uh, he's investment. going to say we're going to invest in yes. everything. Whenever you hear the, the that word, um, uh, be terrified because that means that uh, they want to spend your money. Ne- never. The, and the word investment is code for we're going to take a bunch of your money and dump it into something that's never going to pay off. Absolutely. But, it's, but it might help me get a vote or two. <laughs> and he's going to talk about investment in education. Um, our spending on education has gone up and up and up. About five years ago, we started a new reading literacy program from uh, K to third grade. It started out at $5 million, then $8 million, then $13 million, then $26 million. This last year, $72 million we're spending on this one program. And, Wayne, you know what has happened to reading scores over those five years. What has happened? They've gone down. They've gone down. Yeah. Spending more money, getting fewer results, and the answer is we need to spend more money. Yeah. It's really interesting, too. This is the third governor, third, that I've heard stand in front. I was there on the floor of the House of Representatives as a reporter in 1999, when Dirk Kempthorne stood up there and said, "We're going to deal with this child literacy problem," it's the, it's the, he called it he called it the generation of the child. We're going to deal with child literacy, mm-hmm. and that didn't get done. That didn't happen. Uh, then then uh, Butch Otter came in, gave almost the same speech, almost the same words. We're going to deal with this child literacy issue. Poured a bunch of money and nothing happened, and now we've got Brad Little saying the same thing. Well, Wayne, if if spending more and more money on a reading program or on education in general is not making scores go up, what will? Limit your answer to two words. School choice. Exactly. (laughs) School choice. Introducing competition into the education system is what's needed. Letting parents uh, choose the best education option for their kids, like Arizona has done recently, Mm -hmm. like other states have done. Uh, It has worked everywhere it has been tried. And by the way, not only does it work in terms of student success and in terms of uh, parent satisfaction, it also works in terms of teacher pay. I know yes. teachers are taught by their unions that to oppose school choice because it'll hurt their pay. But uh, in s- schools are competing for kids if they're school choice, but they're also competing for good teachers. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a good teacher in the Idaho education system, school choice will benefit you directly in terms of pay. And it'll probably give you better environments for teaching and more satisfied parents and kids. Uh, who are more interested in their education because they are shopping for the best. I, I have discussed that with teachers in the past, and, and they don't know this, but they all know this other thing, which is they know that the hardworking great teachers hate the fact that they're getting paid the same as the crappy teacher down the hall. 
Mm-hmm. And and you, you say, well, how, how can you fix that? Well, the, you can't fix it with unions because the unions have control and they go in, they negotiate a collective bargaining agreement, and there's a formula for how people are going to be paid, and basically the, the money is split and spread out across everybody. Good teachers, bad teachers, everyone gets paid roughly the same, and everyone's a great teacher, of course. Yeah. Um, but they all know there's a crappy teacher down the hall is making the exact same money. What if you can go in and negotiate? What if you can go in and say, listen, I'm worth um, $120,000 a year? Yeah. And if that teacher is worth that, then the school board is going to work to make sure that teacher remains employed. And the folks that are lousy get yeah. cut or get paid less. And maybe they have to work on a plan to improve their outcomes. But you don't have that right now at all. You don't. And, and you know your own districts. You can, uh, If you're an um, engaged parent, you can go and talk to your kids' teachers. And you know what they're what, what kind of teachers they have. And some teachers are great. Other teachers are struggling a bit or, or just mailing it in. But I think of the great teachers my kids have had. You know, my son was in debate, and he had a debate teacher that was fully engaged during the week. He would uh, dedicate a lot of his weekends to going to debate tournaments. You know, no extra pay for that. But I'll bet in a school choice system where you have a robust debate uh, program, uh, there would be competition for great teachers like that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And so that that you won't hear the governor talk about that. Now, he might talk about his Empowering Parents program, mm-hmm. which is basically a new government program that expands the state's reach into um, the education space. But you, you can use the money in that system for everything except um, non-public schools. So you can yeah. buy books, you can buy computer technology or whatever, but you can't, you can't use it to send your kid to uh, a better school. That's right. Well, the good news is, is the environment is ripe for doing this great change for education. Yeah. And that's because uh, there's enough money. Actually, this actually saves money for education because the school choice uh, program uh, funds students at 80% of what the state rate is. And so any student that chooses to go to a private or, or parochial school uh, is only taking 80% of the, the resources that uh, would normally be spent on them. Also, it's right because right now I know a lot of parents have been frustrated by the COVID years. There's a, there's a dip in education that happened because schools shut down, masks were imposed, all sorts of things that were disrupting the education process. And right now, and this is what DeSantis has touched on in Florida, the woke culture, the sexualization of our mm. kids, just the, the perversion. Which the governor won't talk about yeah. today. He's not going to mention no. that. And that's happening here in Idaho. By the way, for those of you who are watching or wondering, uh, Grant, I don't know if you're able to switch over to the um, to the house feeds. So people can kind of see what's happening and we can talk over them. Uh, but right now what's happening is um, the uh, the house is, is going through the pomp and circumstance of uh, of inviting in oh, the yeah. uh, members of the uh, the state senate, um, the, um, I think now we've got a committee that they actually had breakout. There's a committee that, uh, brings the uh, state elected officials into the chambers. And so that's a process. Um, the very Supreme court, the Supreme court, the very last, um, person that gets invited in is the, um, is the governor. And there was a committee that waits for him and says, um, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, presenting to you his excellency, the governor of the great state of Idaho, Brad Little. Blah, blah, blah. And that'll, <laughs> that'll happen. That, that's... Well, I'll tell you how it goes. It's, you know, being there on the floor, it, it is it is pomp and circumstance. Yeah. And it's very ceremonial, mm-hmm. and it's it's granting all sorts of deference and and royalty status to those who have been elected to these positions. 
And, uh, you know, these are the highest positions in state government, and that's true and everything. But I'm thinking about the freshman legislators, the ones that are new to this. Yeah. Um, it, it almost becomes a, a mass formation psychosis thing going on <laughs> that you're supposed to stand up and applaud yep. like a trained monkey and everyone mm. around you is applauding. Yep. You better applaud or you look disrespectful. But, right. you know, there, there are a lot of th things that will be said today that a lot of conservative legislators would not be agreeing with. Yeah. And I wouldn't expect to stand up and applaud for, but he'll say it in a way to say, oh, I want to invest in education. And are you against education? No, you're against education the way it's done now. I mean, we all want our kids to be educated. but And so, you know, this, this whole thing is standing up and applauding and yep. looking like you're, you're adoring your governor, even though you know the governor is going to oppose largely the agenda that, that would really help. Yeah, and and uh, uh, there is a sort of psychosis. By the way, again, so if you've not if you're not familiar with exactly how this is happening, um, if you look, the people that are sitting at those seats, those are the House members, and then in the well of the House, which is that area right in front of the dais, um, those are state senators. Some state senators you'll find being seated um, with House members, but most of them over there in the well. And I've been on the floor too during those. Um, those sessions, I, I, not, not as a legislator, but as a reporter, and it is, it does swallow you up. It really does. Mm -hmm. You know, you, 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 there's all this applause, and and there's a lot of uh, patriotism and love for the state of Idaho. Um, here you have the committee that's bringing in the um, the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court justices. Yeah. Um, uh, some of them are new, brand new. Uh, uh, Justice uh, Zahn, who uh, uh, was just in on the um, the three-two decision on the abortion case. She, the governor appointed, by the way, the governor appointed her, and she um, uh, she sided with the um, with the abortionists, which was really interesting. I doubt anyone's going to talk about that today or or any other day. No, I, you um, know, Brad Little will claim he's uh, one of the best pro-life governors we've ever had. But he you know, they always do. Yep, but he appointed yeah. somebody to the Supreme Court who um, sided in the in, in the on on the side of Planned Parenthood. Yep. which is really interesting. So, yeah, so they're bringing people in there, and this is going to go on for just a little bit longer. I don't think they brought the uh, the state elected officials in yet, to my knowledge. I, I didn't see them. Um, I think they do the I think they do the Supreme Court and then the executive officers. Do you remember? Yeah, executive officers, yeah. lieutenant governor, yeah, lieutenant governor, the attorney, uh, general. attorney general, yeah, the state treasurer. Yeah, so they're they're doing that. And and you're right. You're going to hear a, a lot of applause. And there's also some of this is is very policy oriented. Of course, um, some of it is going to be um, all show. Of course, there's going to be some discussion. I'm sure about. Um, the uh, stabbings at the University of Idaho, because how can you be the governor and not talk about that, right? Yep. Um, or, you know, giving some recognition to some law enforcement or some military officials. I mean, there's there's a lot of this that goes beyond policy. It's just, uh, yeah, so there you True. see the uh, the uh, new um, Secretary of State, Phil McGrain, coming yeah. in. And also, can I point out, there's a little politics here, too, that, uh, you know, they send out committees to go and retrieve the state officers or retrieve the Supreme Court as if they weren't ready or didn't know where to go. But they send out a committee of four legislators. Those legislators are picked by the speaker, by leadership. And, and it's interesting, you know, they'll never pick the the... the very conservative right. ones. They, they, they pick those who, uh, who have 
towed the line or done whatever the and, leadership wants. And, and they pick people that also have the potential of going that way. I remember yeah. seeing that many years where it's like, why did they pick that guy to go? And then, you know, a couple months later, you realize why, because they, they found the way yeah. <laughs> into being manipulated and controlled and told exactly what to do and how to be. And they, they get sucked into the, they do. None into of these, the stardom of the thing. None of these choices are random. They're, they're picked for a purpose and uh, either as, is to reward them for for good service or the potential well, that they will provide <laughs> the the, yeah. the boot licking necessary to remain where they are. There's the word. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're almost at the point. And what we're going to do when the governor gets up there, which is which is very very soon, is uh, we'll allow the governor to um, allow. He'll make his comments, but we'll kind of um, uh, duck down and and. Um, let the uh, speech commence, and then we'll come back afterwards and provide uh, analysis, feedback, and general grievances about uh, what the governor had to say. <laughs> you know, I suspect there will be some things. There's always something in there to like. <laughs> um, yeah. But I got to tell you, in recent years, it's been very, very few and far between. It's been yeah. basically, um, you know, oh, great, there's a tax cut. Too bad it's so small. Or That's right. Sounds, sounds like he's... Uh, you know, trying to uh, deal with this problem, but he's not dealing with it in the way it needs to be dealt with. That sort of. Kind yeah, of thing. we have a governor who is very good at claiming credit for for things. Yes. For anything good mm-hmm. that's done, whether it's the legislature, or the governor, or any anyone, you know. He, and the he, media lets him do it. He'll say things like, "I'm I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and it's historic." And the media will just regurgitate that it's uh, you know this historic thing that the governor's done, whether it's accurate or not. Yeah, historic tax relief. Yeah, yeah, it was big because there was a big surplus. Right. But what he doesn't say is the, how he opposed the bigger tax cuts right. that were being proposed, and so. Right. And uh, you don't, and you don't get that from the media. So that's why it's very important as the legislative session goes on. Pay close attention and don't just read what's in the paper because most of what you read in the paper is simply not true or it's incomplete. So um, it is the momentum in Boise is for more government, bigger government, and more spending. The media is certainly in line with that. And when they have a governor, regardless whether it's Republican or Democrat, a governor who does spend it up rather than reduce taxes, uh, he'll get positive press on that and there'll be zero zero to negative scrutiny on yeah yeah and and here's yeah. the other here's how you tell this is a marker so after the speeches are all done um the republican leadership will be asked what do you think of the governor's speech and the democrat leadership will be asked the same question and i guarantee you that don't don't pay so much attention to what the republicans have to say about the governor's speech because they're all going to be in a line they like what the governor had to say yeah that's what they, they that that's that's best, best speech ever oh yeah great speech, speech. really conservative really very yeah. conservative really happy to can't wait to work on the governor's agenda the democrats will say almost the same thing they'll say oh yeah we really like the governor's spending we like the fact that he's investing all this money into this that and the other thing and they might grouse about some little thing here and there yeah, but basically it's a detente. They're they're all in agreement. It's the Uniparty, as they're now <laughs> calling us, the Uniparty. Okay, so now you see uh, they're getting ready. The governor's about to uh, come in. Everybody else is uh, there. You see uh-huh. the governor standing at the door. Uh, the Senate Majority Leader Kelly Anthon announcing him, and he makes his way uh, to the dais. Excellent sound work there. Yeah. And, yep. And, <laughs> and the fun begins. And again, we'll stay here and kind of uh, watch, but we're going to 
uh, pot his mic up, as we say in the news business. Yeah. That's not a reference to marijuana. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's the that's the terminology. You, you know, the legislators choose their seats at the beginning of the session, and some legislators would specifically choose to sit on the aisle, the center aisle there, so that they could shake the governor's hand. Oh no, on kidding! This one I occasion. never knew that. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's, that's interesting. The same criteria. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. All right, so he's gonna give his greetings to them, and then he's gonna stand at the podium and begin a speech and we'll sit back and allow that to get going we'll be back thank you mr speaker uh, mr pro tem mr president honored legislators my fellow constitutional officers Mr. Chief Justice and members of the judiciary, my family, friends, and my fellow Idahoans. One of my friends told me I used one word more than any other over the last four years. No, not necessarily one of those words I might hear around the ranch. (laughs) The word historic. Like any good politician, I proudly use this powerful word as much as possible over the last little bit. But, my friend said, historic is the only word that captures what we have accomplished for Idahoans together. And he's right. Our state's success has been nothing short of extraordinary. Less than three years ago, an unpredictable storm arose threatening to weaken us and make us lose sight of our destination. Thankfully, we, stayed on course. Throughout these turbulent few years, we never lost our direction because we always put Idaho first. And now, Idaho is first, or near first, in just about every national ranking of economic strength. Budget stability, good government. We didn't just weather the storm, we thrive. Folks, our success did not happen by accident. What we're doing is working, and I'm prepared to work with all of you to accelerate our pace. Continue to leading the country by putting Idaho first. The People's House today is full of energy, enthusiasm, and sincere motivation to get things done. I want to congratulate you, our legislators, those new to the process, and those of you that have been around for a while. (laughs) I'm very excited to work with all of you, and I thank you for your genuine desire to serve the people of Idaho. I also want to congratulate all the legislators and leadership, especially my good friend and colleague for many years, our and your new speaker, Mike Moyle. I know that working together with Speaker Moyle, Pro Tem Chuck Winder, and all of you, my legislative partners, we will do more historic things for the state of Idaho. We also have some new constitutional officers. Superintendent of Public Instruction Debbie Critchfield and her husband Dave, Attorney General Raul Labrador and his wife Becca, Secretary of State Phil McGrain and his wife Angela, and of course, 
our new Lieutenant Governor, Scott Bedke, and his wife, Sarah. Scott, I'm reassured knowing that any time I leave the state for the next four years, the most unexpected thing you'll do is give a riveting speech on water adjudication. <laughs> Please join me again in, in congratulating them and everyone who earned the confidence of voters this last November. I also want to acknowledge the person in my life who grounds me and reinforces family values every day, our First Lady, Teresa. Besides always giving a better speech than I do, you've always prioritized the things that matter most, and thank you, and I love you very much. To the people of Idaho, I'm so humbled and grateful that you trusted me to be your governor for the next four years. It's been the greatest honor of my life to serve and help chart a, score, uh, chart a course for our great state. Thank you. <laughs> After any election, the political wonks, including myself, dive deep into the results. And one thing on the ballot that was more popular than any contested race, what was it? It was the people's vote on education and tax revenue. 80%, four out of five voters, approve of what we achieved in the 2022 extraordinary session last September. We recognize the financial emergency existing and facing our Idaho families and schools as they grapple with the impacts of 40-year high inflation. We used our projected budget surplus to provide every Idahoan with immediate tax rebate and passed a new flat income tax so Idahoans can keep more of their hard-earned money moving forward. We also put the single largest ongoing investment ever into Idaho education, $330 million for public schools and $80 million for in-demand career training. The people's vote affirming tax relief and our education investments passed in every single county, every single city, and every single legislative district. The overwhelming support of our plan means unmistakably. Idahoans expect us to support public schools. Idaho's spoke loud and clear with their votes, and I will sheepishly admit, I did check the ballot results in Emmett. Would you believe that funding education and cutting taxes was more popular than their hometown governor? <laughs> Go figure. It's one of those healthy reminders that what we do here is far more important than any one of us, and the work we do will outlive all of us. Let's focus on the big things. 
Let's spend our time and energy to improve the lives of Idahoans for generations to come. With the winds at our back and a strong mandate from every corner of Idaho, let's work together to translate the people's vote into action by making, dare I say, historic investments in education a reality. Here's what else I took from the election. Idaho, Idahoans like being first in economic momentum, revenue growth, job growth, responsible government, and cutting red tape. Idahoans like being a top 10 state for economic outlook and strong fiscal policy. Idahoans like a flourishing economy, historic tax rec relief, and record education investments. Plain and simple, the people of Idaho have given us a mandate to stay on course, put Idaho for, first, continue the path of prosperity, and keep investing in education. <laughs> to the people of Idaho, we are listening, and we will continue to deliver. We are not backing down on education, we are doubling down on education. The budget and policy recommendations I'm mapping out today deliver on that mandate given to us by the people of Idaho. My plan, called Idaho First, the first in the plan is education. Four years ago, I, started, I stated my goal is to make Idaho a place where we all can thrive and where our children and grandchildren choose to stay, and for those that left, choose to return. Expanding economic opportunities are providing jobs for our kids. And now we need to foster better jobs and higher incomes and a better quality of life that we can all be proud of. I'm a businessman and a family man, and I look at every issue through the lens of what our businesses and our families need to prosper. We all benefit from a strong economy, one where businesses can offer rewarding careers and opportunities that lead to strong families and strong communities. As I travel the state and listen to employers about their challenges, workforce always tops the list. We've made huge progress in connecting employers with resources to train employees. And my Idaho First Plan gets even more skilled workers through their doors. I'm very proud to announce my budget provides access to a scholarship of $8,500 starting next year to every graduating Idaho student in Idaho to attend an Idaho university, community college, career technical or workforce training program of their choice. Never we provided a catalyst of this magnitude for students on in whatever way suits them. There are many pathways to success in Idaho's economy, and all pathways deserve our support. For some students, it means getting their CDL, becoming an alignment, or pursuing welding. For others, it's engineering, teaching, healthcare, or business. No matter what path a student chooses, we are making it easier for them to get the advanced training they need to propel themselves and Idaho's economy forward. The Idaho Launch Scholarship 
will be the single largest investment in career technical and workforce education in state history. We want Idaho students brought up in Idaho schools working at Idaho jobs. This past fall, the student body presidents of, at College of Western Idaho, Boise State University, Lewis Clark State College, and the University of Idaho wrote an article on the need to invest directly in our students and our, work, our future workforce. The students, Adam Jones from Emmett, Tanner McLean from Middleton, and Caden Massey from Kamehai, and Flora Koning from Boise, said, quote, now more than ever, we can't afford for our students to leave Idaho. A statewide scholarship program will not only benefit Idaho students, but will help keep our economy growing and competitive for the next generation. It is time to keep Idaho's future in Idaho. I don't know about you, but I think these students nailed it. We have them with us here today. Adam, Tanner, Caden, and Flora, please stand up so we can recognize them. A person's foundation for success starts very young, and it starts in the home. Education of our children will always rest first and foremost with the family. Schools are partners with parents, and that is why we are making historic investments in both families and schools. Where parents are heavily involved in their child's school and education, we see better academic performance. In fact, Idaho is first in the nation for overall return on investment for education spending, which speaks to the dedication of Idaho families to prepare their children for productive learning every single day. We're also third in the nation for education freedom. Measures that include spending, school choice, transparency, and regulations, whether it's a traditional public school, public charter schools, public magnet schools, private schools, online academy, academies or homeschooling. Hundreds of schooling options are available to Idaho families. In fact, Idaho is one of only a handful of states with the fewest restrictions on allowing parents to send their child to any public school they wish. And we are a top 10 state for the number of students enrolled in public charter schools. To further reinforce parents' role as the primary decision makers in their children's education, my Idaho First Plan makes permanent the Empowering Parents Grant Program. The grants help families take charge of tools there for their children's education, things like computers, software, instructional materials, and tutoring. These resources help children progress outside of the classroom. To date, we've served tens of thousands of students with these grants. The Empowering, Parents, the Empowering Parents Grants are effective and popular and worthy of a continued investment. Most importantly, it keeps parents where they should be in the driver's seat of their children's education. The Idaho Constitution 
recognize the endurance of our Republican form of government depends upon an educated, intelligent people. The founders spelled out the duty to, quote, establish and maintain a general, uniform, and thorough system of public, free, common schools. As elected leaders, we promise to uphold this contract with the people when we take the oath of office. Our commitment to public schools is both our constitutional obligation and it's our moral obligation. My Idaho First Plan delivers on both the constitutional mandate and the mandate from the voters of Idaho by investing in our public schools. Here with us today, we have some fourth graders and fifth graders from Centennial Elementary School in Nampa and their teacher, Jamie Hazing. Kids, please wave at us. Thank you for being here. What better way to strengthen our schools than to invest in the people on the front lines of education, our teachers? I want our students here today to clap twice if you agree with what I'm saying. Students, are you ready? Recess is the best part of the day. Students, clap twice if you agree. <laughs> Just getting warmed up. Okay, here we go. Teachers get to work early so they can be prepared when their students arrive. Students, clap twice if you agree. Teachers are adapting all day long to a variety of learning styles and individual needs. Clap twice if you agree. Teachers spend their evenings and weekends grading papers and relying on parents and students. Clap twice if you agree. Best of all, teachers are passionate about preparing students for eventual careers and making them feel safe and supported. Clap twice if you agree. Great job, you guys. Attention, there might be an opportunity to you to participate also. <laughs> Our students and their families deserve quality teachers who are respected and compensated competitively. Great teachers, get, <laughs> not yet, great teachers can motivate and change the trajectory of a student's life. That's why my plan boosts starting teacher pay yet again, finally targeting Idaho in the top 10 state for starting teacher pay. When I started this job four years ago, Idaho was 41st in the country for starting teacher pay. In four short years, we will have catapulted starting teacher pay in Idaho from the bottom 10 to the top 10. We are also going to grow the salaries of all teachers, including the most experienced ones, to ensure students have classrooms, the classroom support they need. What does this mean for the average teacher? It means a $6,300 pay raise. When we show teachers we support them, we're showing families their child education is our priority. I'm also proud that we've made great advances in my top education priority over the last four years, literacy. Learning to read from a young age is the best foundation 
for learning later on. It makes our investments worthwhile. Since I took office, we have increased literacy funding five-fold. Local school districts determine how best to deploy the resources. Everything from expanding kindergarten, reading coaches, reduced class sizes, or summer reading programs. This past fall, reading scores for all kindergarten through third grade teachers are the highest in years with impressive gains among our youngest learners. The scores are steadily increasing. And while we have more work to do, the results are encouraging. They show we are headed in the right direction. We must continue to prepare our younger generation with the education skills and lifelong passion for learning. That's why we're putting Idaho first and education first. You know, most people want the same things. Health, safety, high quality of life, freedom to choose their own path, strong schools, an abundance of rewarding, reliable career opportunities, and to keep more of their hard-earned money. Our ability to deliver on these things, or at least not stand in the way of them happening, determines our fate. We've all seen states that continually fail, and as a result, people don't want to live there. In fact, I've heard some suggest that California Governor Gavin Newsom is really Idaho's Realtor of the Year. Clap twice if you agree. <laughs> Pretty impressive. But, but in Idaho, we're striking the right balance between investing in key critical areas like our schools and giving more of Idahoans, giving back more of Idahoans' money. In just three years, we've given back more than ever before in Idaho history, a whopping $2.7 billion to Idaho citizens and businesses. No other state in the country has given more tax relief per capita than Idaho. And we're not done yet. We deployed $2.7 billion in immediate tax relief in four ways. Slashing payroll taxes for small businesses, increasing the grocery tax credit, giving Idahoans the largest ever reimbursement of their property taxes in 2020, and of course, back-to-back-to-back income tax rebates and back-to-back-to-back tax cuts for both personal income and corporate income tax. The tax rebates help thousands of small businesses across our state, as well as senior citizens on fixed income, providing relief from crushing inflation where everything from food to fuel was skyrocketing. Our commitment to cutting taxes doesn't just start and end with one-time relief. We also cut back Idahoans' ongoing tax burden by more than $650 million. We took the income tax from six brackets down to one and created a fair, predictable, and lower flat income tax once and for all. Folks, what we're doing is working. Consider this the Tax Foundation ranks states on their business tax climate. It's a useful barometer of a state's competitiveness to attract and retain businesses. In just four years, we've risen six spots 
And that's even before accounting for the income tax reduction we adopted in last year's special session. Cutting taxes keeps our business climate competitive, allows Idahoans to keep more of what they earn, and it is just the right thing to do. One area where we really shine may surprise you. The Tax Foundation ranks Idaho as having the third lowest property taxes in the country. So why does that feel surprising to so many? When your property tax bill arrives, you see it all at once. It's not hidden in each paycheck. It's not pennies on the dollar on every purchase you make. You get a bill for the full amount, and I understand why many Idahoans struggling under the weight of record inflation get sticker shock when the bill from local government arrives. The reality is no property taxes are paid to state government. No state official in this room can decide what local property taxes will be. Local governments alone set their budgets. However, some of the parameters around local property taxes are set in state law like the circuit breaker. So people, in, people turn to state leaders in this room for answers. Idahoans want relief from rising property taxes, and we hear them. My Idaho First plan puts another $120 million towards property tax relief to answer the call for help from Idahoans. There, there, there is no doubt Idaho's tremendous, pace of Idaho's tremendous rate, pace of growth is putting a strain on services at the local level, which increases the potential to drive up your local property taxes. But too often, we are simply shifting burdens across taxpayers. We should be addressing the needs head on. Let's work on better ways to facilitate growth, paying for growth, and give local governments the tools they need to keep taxes low. How? By continuing to make long-range strategic investments in roads, water, and other key areas to maintain our high quality of life. The fact is, investing in local infrastructure is property tax relief. Over the past two years, we've made the biggest investments ever in our most precious resource, water. When we're investing in drinking water and wastewater infrastructure, we saved Idaho citizens and local taxes or fees what they would otherwise pay in property taxes to cover those improvements. Now I'm proposing more investments in water quantity and water quality infrastructure, not only to reduce the burden on local property taxes, but also to secure abundant clean water for the years to come. Investing in local roads and bridges is property tax relief. Last year, we put nearly half a billion into local roads, bridges, and airports. We took a major bite out of the backlog of deficient bridges that local governments have been struggling for years to repair. And we did it without raising taxes or fees. That buys us not just property tax relief, but safer roads, less drive time, and less congestion. Now I'm proposing even more for local bridges and new ongoing funding for transportation safety and capacity to build on our success.
We will continue to keep uh, taxes low, but we must do responsibly. We all see the flashing red lights in the economy. Simply put, Washington, D.C. is driving America towards an economic cliff and seemingly pushing down on the gas. Perhaps never has Lieutenant Governor Bedke's grandfather's word rung true. Quote, it won't be the bad years that put you out of business. It's what you do in the good years that sets you up for either failure or success. We must be prudent. We must prepare for the impending economic downturn. And now, more than ever, we must make wise decisions that stand the test of time. We can't cut beyond the level of services Idahoans demand, and we must not use our one-time surplus for wasteful spending. Given the economic volatility on the near horizon, this may be our one last shot in the near future to make significant tax cuts that will sustain a balanced budget over time. Let's work together, unlock our creativity, put these $120 million of property tax relief into the highest and best use. We're also making a difference with our investments in safe and healthy communities. We're on track to advance all of the recommendations from our historic three-branch behavioral health council. And this year, my Idaho First Plan does even more to improve resources for troubled youth and mental health crises. It also, we're going to make long-term investments in behavioral health services more accessible to our neediest neighbors and add more doctors for rural Idaho and more healthcare workers overall. And my Idaho First Plan backs the blue again, adding a 10% pay raise for our brave and dedicated law enforcement officers. What does this mean to your average state trooper? It means a $6,000 raise. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, while other places seek to defund the place, police, here in Idaho, we defend the police. Our men and women in law enforcement work tirelessly to help keep us safe, many times confronting the most heinous side of humanity. This past fall, four young lives were ended in one of the worst crimes in our state and our nation, our nation have ever seen. Ethan, Kaylee, Zanna, and Maddie were brutally murdered in a home near the University of Idaho campus. The loss of these incredible people is felt exponentially and we will never forget them. Amen. We will vigorously seek justice for the victims and the many loved ones they leave behind. I ask everyone now to please pause for a moment of silence and prayer for them. Thank you. Our law enforcement heroes handle this loss with professionalism and they routinely encounter dangerous and difficult situations to keep us safe, especially when it comes to fentanyl. We are losing more and more young lives to the most potent and deadliest drug our society has faced, fentanyl. It's 50 times more potent than heroin, 100 times more potent than morphine, and hard to detect. 
Fentanyl is now the leading cause of death for American adults under age 50. Michael Stabell, a 15-year-old from Coeur d'Alene, was another young Idahoan with a bright future whose promising life was cut short. Michael tragedy, tragically lost his life when he took a pill he thought was a pain reliever, but came from an unknown source. The pill contained a lethal trace of fentanyl, as small as a grain of salt, killing him almost instantly. Michael's mom and dad, Jennifer and Frank, are here with us today. Jennifer and Frank, we're so sorry for your loss and thank you for being here. They described their only child as their miracle baby and a boy who loved the outdoors and his family dearly. We are now taking steps to protect our youth from fentanyl. All of these steps grew out of our Operation Esto Perpetua initiative last year. To root out this growing problem, I called for the development of a new statewide interdiction team at the Idaho State Police. In addition, enhanced testing and training and a new educational awareness campaign we just launched will help. Our campaign is called All It Takes, and it launched last week at fentanyltakesall.org. It will feature Michael's story and the stories of many other young Idahoans who have lost their lives to accidental fentanyl poisoning. We aim to inform our youth about the dangers of fentanyl its accessibility, its potency, and its ability to take everything from you and your loved ones, as it did with the Stabils. I have seen for myself how the Mexican drug cartels control the access into our country under the current administration. The vast majority of illicit drugs in Idaho, including fentanyl, are sourced in Mexico. We will not relent in our efforts to end the supply of fentanyl by continuing to work with our states to the south and helping to secure our border. In 2021, the state of Arizona called for support in controlling the chaos at the border. I sent a team of drug interdiction specialists with ISP to help. I'm pleased to announce that I'm sending a team back to the border. They will hone their skills and return with even better knowledge to train police in our state on the best ways to get fentanyl off our street. Colonel Ked Wills and a few of our state police are here with us today, including Sergeant Darren Gilbertson, Sergeant Cotterell, Chris Cotterell, Trooper Mitch Howard. Can you gentlemen please stand? Enforcement, active military, and veterans all deserve our gratitude for their service and commitment. Thank you. It's easy to be cynical about government when you see what hap what's happening in Washington, D.C. and other dysfunctional states around the country. But it's also easy to be inspired by the real difference we are making in Idaho when we put Idaho first. Focusing on schools, tax relief, safe communities, strategic investments, and good government. 
Folks, after years of being around the political process, I have learned that politics can complicate otherwise pretty simple concepts. There is nothing complicated about our state's success. There's nothing complicated about how to keep our success going. Idaho first. Listen to the people. Stay on course. Keep the big picture in focus and don't lose our direction. Concentrate on what matters way beyond our time here. Double down on our support for schools and tax relief and continue key investments to keep up with growth and make our communities safe. It's that simple. I know you're motivated to get things done and I am too. I'm grateful for our partnership. We will put our trust in God and together we will get our work done efficiently and transparently, apparently focusing on things that matter. The people of Idaho expect us to work together and working together has always been the only way to get historic things done. Thank you and God bless. Okay, well, there you have it. There's the speech. <laughs> the state of the state. I got to tell you, I was expecting a really terrible speech, but I wasn't expecting it to be that bad. Maybe it's just me. What do you think, Ron? Um, the thing that stands out to me is let, let's train kids to clap twice. Let's <laughs> train the legislature to clap twice. Yep. I say something mildly acceptable, clap twice, follow my lead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. Um, look, very, very thin details. Um, this is very typical of Governor Little. Um, he tends to provide a broad overview and then leaves the details for his actual budget. But there's, I mean, I how many times we should have done a drinking game, like you said earlier. Every time he says the word investment. We wouldn't have been able to come back on the you air. Basically, we wouldn't you would be on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> this Mormon tolerance level. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. I don't really drink either, but um, the, I, I, the, the amount of the, – when you hear the word investment, hold on to your wallet because he's going to spend a lot of your money. And he wasn't really clear, and I'm waiting for his budget to um, – uh, to go online so we can take a closer look or a look at it. How much tax relief is he promising? Because I didn't hear a number. Did you? I did not hear a number. He was very complimentary of himself, actually, the legislature on the $2.7 billion. But remember, that $2.7 billion of so-called tax relief over the last three or four years was a fraction of the over-collection of tax dollars that right. the state has brought in. Um, and... Uh, I always cringe when I hear a, a leader or a legislator or a governor say, uh, we're giving them uh, this tax relief or giving the, the households or the families yes. this money. It has been taken from them. You're returning the change. It's not a gift from government to provide tax relief. Yeah. It is a it, government should never take a penny more than it needs for its limited role. And the fact that there more is coming in than is needed means we need structural tax reform. And it's not a gift to households. It's their due. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it sounds like um, even the property tax. Now, that that's when he did put a number on. What was it? $125 million? $120 million of property tax relief. But then he was very careful and repeated several times to say that 
investing, investing again in roads or water projects is property tax relief. So I wonder if he's trying to get a twofer there saying, we're going to reduce your property taxes by spending more money on roads and bridges right. and water. Right. It, it, it was a little unclear. Yeah. And, and considering that, what is the total tax, uh, property tax collection in the state is somewhere around $3 billion? $2.1 billion or is something it 2.1 like? okay yeah, yeah. It, so so uh, uh one one two 120 is uh what four uh, gosh three, it's not even yeah it's i know a little over five percent but that's really not much um but and you don't know how he's uh, planning to do it because one of the things we've seen in the past is when a person talks property tax relief, they do things like increasing the homeowner's exemption or yeah. increasing the circuit breaker or something like that, where it's for a specific political audience, but not actually for general tax relief. So if you're a renter, uh, if you own some commercial real estate, um, you know, you, there, there's a lot of different uh, categories of, of people who Mm -hmm. uh, would otherwise actually potentially see their taxes go up Absolutely. because certain people uh, uh, are getting a break and, and the result is that shift over to somebody else who's um, not rewarded with tax relief. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's interesting for him to say we're going to reduce property taxes by $120 million when the state does not collect property taxes. Mm -hmm. So does this mean he's going to distribute $120 million to county, gov county and city governments and then expect them to lower the property taxes. That mechanism needs to be detailed. And by the way, when we say 120 million is about five or six percent of the two billion in property taxes, I, I I hesitate to use property taxes the base on that. It's it's five percent of the property tax, but we're paying sales tax, income right. tax, all these other taxes. It's not a very significant tax cut overall. Yeah. So what what else stood out for you in the in the speech? Um, one one blaring thing is he he pointed out tax relief. Mm -hmm. He talked about law enforcement. He talked uh, a little more extensively about education, a little bit about economic development, but I didn't hear him say anything about health and welfare and yeah. the outrageous <clears throat> increase in cost that that has been. It is now the largest chunk of our budget, four point one billion dollars. They're going to ask for $400 million in supplementals. He made no mention of it whatsoever. Nothing. Nothing about the out-of-control costs of Medicaid. Yeah, and you know, the other thing that he never talked about, he never talked about the wokeism in the public schools. He never talked about the college and university system with the social justice agenda. He never yeah. talked about any of these um, uh, uh, Medicaid paying for transgender uh, procedures, including <laughs> uh, hormone replacements and puberty blockers. Uh, we paid for We already paid through Medicaid expansion. We paid for um, uh, some guy to have a, a testicle removed because of his transgenderism. So we're already doing surgeries and things like that on people. He never mentioned any of that stuff. You know, it's astounding. Uh, I just, I went to the GOP meetings, the Idaho GOP meetings last week. And I'll tell you what, the grassroots, the people across the state are worried just like the, the conservatives all across the country are. And DeSantis has hit on this. And it's the woke culture, the sexualization of our kids in schools, the loss of focus on education, trying to teach them how to, how to be gay or transgender or whatever, whatever they do. And DeSantis recognizes the problem and is responsive to it and saying, look, when we're spending taxpayer dollars, we're not going to fund these cultural causes. And in a state... <clears throat> where it should be politically more difficult to 
make those kinds of noises here. I mean, it should be a no brainer. The electorate, you know, is with you, the legislatures with you or could, should be with you if you lead through the, that lens. But this speech that we heard today is no different than the speech I would have heard 25 years ago. Exactly. Exactly. We're going to talk about water and we're going to talk about roads and we're going to talk about tax burdens and we're going to talk about, um, you know, investing in education. It's, I I could have I could have ripped Phil Bat's speech out of the nineteen ninety five Senate Journal and uh, read the same speech up here, and I doubt it there'd be any there'd be much different. True, I didn't hear um, any any homages made to uh, limited government. Mm-hmm. It was area, you know, education. Showed up here. Let's say you just moved here from the Bay Area six months ago. I just talked to a woman a couple days ago who fits that category. You just moved here six months ago from the Bay Area, and you listened to the speech. Would you think that was a conservative standing up there giving that speech, not knowing anything about Idaho politics? If you asked me to 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 uh, identify the party of that governor without identifying them, I I probably would have said, yeah, they're Democrat. They're Democrat. Maybe a moderate Democrat, yeah, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a few blind spots. Uh, student performance is down. And he, he doesn't acknowledge the problem. In fact, he, uh, I don't know where he came up with his, his idea that the reading scores are up because they're, they're not. not We've overinvested in literacy and we've seen the reading scores go down. And, and if he can't identify that our scores are going down, reading, science, math, history, they're going down. And, and if you can't identify that as a problem, you're never going to, uh, to um, get to the good result, which is school choice. Um, it's interesting. I watched a, a program the other day where they had one of our Democrat legislators on and and she was uh, saying that there was um, no need for school choice. In fact, we have plenty of school choice in Idaho because we have charter schools, magnet schools, or whatnot, and uh, that we already have choice. And ex- almost exactly the same words came out of our that governor's it, mouth it really today. Was, yep. That there's plenty of school choice, but uh, Arizona knows how to do school choice. Arizona does, and for some reason... We don't. There um, should be no fear of school choice. If you think public schools are doing a great job, then school choice doesn't change the paradigm. A student who chooses to go to a private option under school choice is choosing their best option, and it makes the private schools be better and the public schools be better. And uh, the old canard that the, that the public schools say is, well, they'll take the best students and leave the, the harder ones behind. Um, really... Uh, first of all, doesn't bear out in the facts. Good students do, in fact, stay in public schools. In fact, if your public school is doing good for your kids, uh, the last thing you want to do is a change. And so students who are succeeding in public schools tend to stay in the public schools under a public school, under a school choice paradigm. So um, we, will, we will see. I think our legislature got more conservative over the last elections. It did. And, and if we put a school choice bill on the governor's desk um, – uh, we'll see what he what he does with that because I think there is a lot of momentum, certainly in the Senate and probably in the House, to uh, get a significant school choice bill through, not unlike Arizona, and uh, and uh, put the governor to the test. Do you want to be a DeSantis or do you want to be like a Gavin Newsom? Because right now, um, I think he's leaning to Gavin Newsom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking now at the uh, the governor's as a summary of the governor's budget online gives a little more detail than what the governor offered during uh, the speech just now. But um, 
So those education initiatives that he mentioned are part of the $330 million that the, um, the legislature approved in special session this um, the, uh, last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, what's troubling about that, again, he talks about this thing. He says, oh, you know, 80% of Idahoans approved. Well, if you read the ballot language, it was basically written in such a way that how could you vote no on it? It's like, do you approve of these tax cuts that stimulated the economy and invested money in public schools and prevent children from dying and puppies from being killed? And and let's let's and, remember the timing or, on that. Or are you a, just an, an awful asshole? <laughs> that question was asked yeah. about two weeks after people got their checks. <laughs> exactly. And, Yeah, yeah, I mean, and why ask a question like that after the fact, other than to pat yourself on the back or give yourself a line in a speech like this? I have a question about is uh, Idaho launch scholarships, saying that uh, new graduates from Idaho schools will have $8,500 to spend on universities, colleges, trade schools, or work, what is it, uh, uh, work Workforce training. Yeah, this says this says eighty million dollars to provide eighty five hundred dollars for qualifying high school graduates to use at any Idaho University community college, career technical program, workforce training pro- provider of their choice. All this is is a government expansion program. It's a way of taking money out of one hand and giving it to another. And just think about how this works: is they take money from you. And then, and then you're supposed to be grateful that they gave you some money back. I don't even know. Yeah, but it goes back to not even the same it, people it's taken no, from. No, and, and, and it just goes back into the system. So it's, it's just so who benefits? The system does. Yeah. And I wonder about the workforce training programs. You know, if, if uh, a big corporation in Idaho has a workforce training program, does that money go to them? And, uh, you know, it, it could just turn into a big handout for our big corporations. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's all it is, um, is just a way of, um, of, of satiating the needs of some special interest. Who, it, helps pay, it helps check two boxes. One, it provides money for the special interests who want it, you know, who want the money be, being recycled. Because businesses are no longer responsible for workforce training anymore. It's the government's responsibility. So rather than Simplot or Micron or... Um, you know, name your 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 company, ABC Stamp Company. Yeah. And instead of those guys doing uh, workforce training, you make that the government's responsibility, and then you no longer have to deal with that. Um, and then, of course, the other thing is you take $8,500, and the money goes back into the college system, so it's more money for the college system, and everybody gets to pack, pat themselves on the back and say, look what a wonderful thing we did for these students. Sure. Um, yeah, there's just there's so much stuff in here. Um uh, $4.1 million for safe teen reception centers. You know, one of my favorite legislators, uh, Representative, now Senator Tammy Nichols, used to say, used to talk about the tax relief that was proposed yeah. by the governor and by the leadership was, was crumbs. Mm-hmm. It's crumbs going back to the, to the households. And she's, she's right. When you have a $1.5 billion surplus and he can't even identify the extent to which uh, that $1.5 billion should go back to households, and all he does is uh, list a few more spending items. Um, expect crumbs, uh, households. Uh, yeah, and then he already, here's another 61, $62 million he's putting in the state rainy, rainy day fund um, on top of the, oh gosh, there's a tremendous, what is it, like 20% of the state general fund is in a rainy day fund. Are you right looking now. at the printout there? Yeah, the I'm, looking, yeah I'm looking at the uh, the summary that he, he just put online a little bit ago. And, and there's so much there's so much to review here, so we can't do it all on the fly, but I got to tell you, this is a 
This is a spin, spin bonanza. And now what you got to do if you're watching this and you're kind of wondering what happens next, folks, the, the next thing is, again, you're going to hear the Republicans celebrate this as being fiscally conservative. The Democrats celebrate it as being a good start, but they want more. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, the, the conservatives are going to be, you know, the, one, the ones, the, the adults in the room who say, wait a minute, this is our money. Yeah. And all you're doing is growing government. We can't do this. It's going to be an interesting fight, this legislative session. There are more conservatives now than there's ever been. And it's a real opportunity to kind of to, to restrain this governor. That's right. And let's recognize that government is not hurting right now. Government has been flooded with money from the from the feds. When I took office, the federal government uh, accounted for 35 percent of our state budget. Now now they're counting for 42 to 45 yes. percent of our state budget. Uh, the go- federal government's going into debt. It's unsustainable debt. Uh, Idaho is is taking a lot of that money, contributing to that debt, and the Idaho families are the ones getting crushed. They're the ones who need tax relief. Go wheel your cart through the grocery store, take it up to the to the checkout, and then be shocked when you see the number. Um, go to a restaurant, and uh, you know you used to expect a lunch to to cost you know five to seven bucks. Yep. I, I challenge you to lucky, find yeah. find a find a lunch under ten bucks. I don't think you can do it anymore, and. These prices are out of control. Households' wages have not kept up, and but government is swimming in your tax dollars and very reluctant to give any of it to return the change yeah. to any of the households. The, the other, the other really frustrating thing for me too is just how much of everything is is built on government. You know, yeah. you, you want to you mentioned it. You want to train workers. Well, government will do that. <laughs> you want to you want to train uh, hospital employees. Well, government will do that. Um, you want um, uh, uh, you want to deal with fentanyl? Government's going to do that too. Yeah. Um, what? Where's the role of the private sector to figure these things? Churches, charities, families, communities to uh, yeah. to to have the the governor feel as if and and the legislature feel as if it's their responsibility to do everything for us all the time. You know, when I teach my public economics class. Um, one of the things we talk about is crowding out. And that when the government spends money to address a particular problem, they're crowding out private options. And they do it in two ways, that they take resources away from the private sector that could have been spent to help solve that problem, and then they go and compete for resources with that money they're taking. And uh, so it makes it even harder. Not only do you have less money to to help your neighbor, it costs you more to, to help your neighbor if you want to. And so the government crowding out, they do a a worse job. There's high administration and inefficiencies in government provision, and uh, and it and it makes it so we're more reluctant to help our neighbor. We're like, if there's a welfare program, I don't need to help as much. That's what welfare right. is for. Right. That's what my tax dollars are being taken for. And you lose the personal touch, the personal empathy. It takes away our humanity, in my view, and that's the thing I've been talking about a lot lately. Where it's sort of the, the, there's a there's a part of us that that's I mean we're by design. Mm-hmm. supposed to help our friends and neighbors. We're supposed to be a community. We're supposed to be able to go up to somebody and say, I need help or I want to help you. Yeah. And instead, when you when you make government the uh, third-party uh, respondent, yeah. then you no longer have a, a moral obligation to help your, your family or friends or neighbors. And, um, and not only do you not have a moral obligation, you're somewhat angry that, you know, you pay these taxes and there's still this guy on the street corner who's begging for money. 
and I'm not going to go help him because isn't there a program you can go sign up for? I've always said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if Idaho, I mean, there's no federal law that says we have to run a Medicaid program or a food stamp program or any of those things, but we do. And we never bothered to ask the question, does this thing help or hurt us? You know, last year we spent millions of dollars. Was it 150? I can't remember the number, but we spent tens of millions of dollars on a on a workforce housing yep. bill mm-hmm. that uh, corporations went to the government, went to some of their, their friends in leadership in the government, said, hey, our workers are having a hard time uh, affording housing. Wouldn't it be great if the government could build some some public ha- publicly assisted housing for them? And so... Our liberals in the legislature and in the in the governor's seat spent all this money of taxpayer dollars to make cheaper housing for the workforce that is going to benefit the corporations who won't have to pay their workers as yep. much now. Yep. And so it's a it's an indirect transfer of wealth from households through the government in the form of taxation to the housing to the corporations who now won't have to pay as much. Yep. Incredible. Mm-hmm. That's where we are, folks. So. Uh, well, we're just getting started. So uh, day one of the legislative session, uh, many days yet to come. I think we'll be here through uh, probably April or May. Um, but um, <laughs> let's see. I know. I'm sorry. I'm just a big keeping it real, guys. Uh, I remember, again, that 2003 legislative session, brand new class. And actually, the same thing was true in um, in the 13 legislature where we got hung up over uh, the health insurance exchange, brand new, very big uh, freshman legislative class, um, Mm -hmm. long strung out. um, 2021, we went into May. Yep. So, I mean, it, it could happen here again. I don't, to me, how long it lasts is less relevant than just how much damage they do to us. And you can see we're not starting out in a great, very great uh, place. So, Stay tuned. Uh, don't believe the leftist news media. Yeah. Um, well, let's, you know, we have work to do in, uh, in limiting government, restoring freedoms, lowering taxes, and, and protecting families and, and households. Uh, it seems our government governor is not on the same page, but uh, you need to talk to your representatives and your senators and yeah. hold the governor accountable. Yeah, he says is- he's a conservative. Let's make him yeah, conservative. This is not the last word on this. Talk to your legislators. you got three of them, and I always tell people, make it a habit. Uh, like you get up in the morning, you you take a shower, you <laughs> kiss your spouse, and then you, you send a text message to, your, to one of your legislators and say, how come this is going on, and what are you doing about that, and hold them accountable and just make it part of your routine. And yep. if you do that, then you make enough noise, and we can change this thing because there's a lot more of us than there are of them. But sometimes it doesn't look that way. That's right. The Idaho Freedom Foundation has its eye on the ball. We want to increase education freedom. We want to uh, reduce Medicaid spending and and waste and even fraud by removing some ineligibles from the rolls and and reducing the the overall spending on the the program. Um, We also want to work on woke culture and and, uh, keep protecting kids from... uh, sexualization in the classroom, harmful materials in libraries and schools. We have priorities we're working on that are conservative, freedom-oriented, and family-friendly. Um, and uh, we're going to be doing our part. And I, I don't know what yep. do you have to say. That's it. That's uh, we Stay tuned because there's a lot to do and we're going to need a lot of help. So um, look forward to everybody working together to make this a productive legislative session and stopping these leftists from getting their way. We can get it done. We may not have a DeSantis, but the grassroots can can uh, can make up for all the difference. I think so too.
Yeah. I think so, too. All right, guys. Uh, we'll be back again, uh, I'm sure, to talk some more. But uh, stay tuned. Keep keep updated. Uh, be sure to check out our uh, webpage, idahofreedom.org, for updates. Watch for the Freedom Index to go live here pretty quick uh, with all our bill analyses. That's coming, too. And, of course, uh, watch Twitter and Face page and YouTube and whatever other, I don't even know. All social the, media. All the different social media. <laughs> I don't even know which, which one's out there. We're, we'll be posting a lot of stuff all during the legislative sessions. So um, if you have questions, uh, certainly feel free to hit us up with some emails and, and uh, let's chat. Let us know. Let's get it done. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to the Hoftime Report with Wayne Hoffman. Be sure to visit IdahoFreedom.org for Wayne's articles, IFF research, and show notes from today's episode. Guys, thanks for.